Welcome. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Uh, tonight, hey, we're going to have a very interesting show. I've never actually done a live uh, book review uh, as part of a show. And uh, although I've had guests on many years ago that uh, we kind of reviewed their book, but uh, this is different because tonight I'm going to actually review a book that I think is worthwhile. And I really uh, recommend it. And for those of you who are also watching, I'm going to hold it up here. But uh, I would like you to consider this particular book because I found it to be fascinating and uh, extremely accurate. Accuracy is important these days, especially revealing of the truth about what's happening in America. And uh, the name of the book, of course, is America, Imagine a World Without Her. Yes, <laughs> making it kind of a... Uh, the her sound, and uh, and this is by Denise D'Souza, and uh, he did that movie um, 2016 uh, a few years ago, and uh, there's a movie coming out by the same title as this book on July 4th of this year, which is it's coming right up a couple weeks from now, so uh, definitely get the book if you can get it. Uh, I got mine over at Costco only because. I was shopping there, and that's why that's why I had a copy. But you can get it lots of places. And um, the reason I'm recommending this book is because it gets deep into what is happening today in terms of the destruction of our country here, the United States of America. And also, um, it tells the story of progressivism, which is important to understand. And a lot more, a lot more that uh, it, it explains the progressive ideology in a, a very succinct way. I, as a matter of fact, I was fascinated more by that in some respects because I already knew the uh, opposing argument. But the pro- progressive uh, arguments, I've never heard said so succinctly and in some ways even with uh, uh, a little trepidation when you hear how they've got this down so... Well, it could fool people, but uh, if you hear the counter-argument, or read it in the book, then uh, it becomes really apparent what's wrong with (laughs) the progressive arguments. And beyond progressivism, this is actually far deeper than that. It's really evil. And he doesn't talk about it so much as evil, some, in some parts, he, he, he insinuates that. Uh, I don't think he. I think he wants to stay away from too much of the aspect of, we'll say, uh, good versus evil, uh, at least in a book that's historically uh, accounting things. He's trying to really uh, describe the truth of situations in counter dis, uh, position to the lies. And I think that that's really important. And you don't have to call it evil if you don't need to. And I think that in his case, um, he's already gotten himself in some political trouble, which is going to lead to possibly some legal, serious legal uh, factors, crim- criminally against him. And uh, so uh, because of that, I think maybe he's he's trying to stay a little bit away from some things that might be controversial, but good news. <laughs> Do it for him. <laughs> what the heck? Maybe we can share the same cell. Be 
interesting. Okay. Uh, so, so what I'm going to be talking about today is Evil's Plan. And uh, this book will, uh, during parts of where I'm explaining Evil's Plan, I'm going to explain some parts of the book so that it will hopefully encourage you to want to read this and also uh, possibly see the movie, which, again, is uh, two weeks away. I think that that's pretty darn close. So um, that's a really a good thing. I think it's two weeks from today, actually, is when it's supposed to come out. Okay. So some of, one of the areas that I've talked about before, and you probably, if you've heard the show, you've heard me speak about this, is that at the present time, uh, our administration, whole administration, virtually, everybody in it almost, uh, and people that you may not know that are behind the scenes, are very, very strong in uh, progressivism. And what that means is that they tend to not be, uh, we'll, we'll say, uh, spiritual or, uh, the best way to describe it, believers in God, uh, as uh, one of their frameworks. Now, that doesn't mean that every progressive doesn't believe in God, but more are agnostic and atheistic than are not. So, at least in my experience and what I've read. So, that being the case, they have a different worldview than people who do have that kind of difference in, in, in seeing things. But their biggest difference, which is strangely is not about God, their biggest difference is a framework in which they believe that they can replace God. <laughs> in other words, you don't need God. Even if God exists, it's okay, because we can do better. And the way we do better is the smartest of us, we call ourselves us, as a group, uh, that are the, uh, the intelligentsia progressive. They come up with the plan, and everybody else just marches to that tune. And if you follow their plan, uh, then uh, supposedly good things will happen to you and everybody else. And if not, then if you don't follow the plan, then there's retribution from usually government. And government is their means of uh, getting their plan across. Now, uh, most of the progressive elements, most of the parts of progressivism, that is a plan, is also the plan of evil. They may not know, some of them, that they are evil. That because in their thought process, their thinking, uh, it's not evil to want to control others and society and the world and have one nation doing every, one world doing everything as a single nation uh, and uh, eliminating any differences, so to speak, and uh, creating a kind of almost uh, uniform uh, world society. And the uniformness of that world is based mostly on intelligence, not on consciousness, not on love, not, not love as we'll call it universal love, but rather on the ability to uh, follow what they think is the knowingness of themselves and those who they believe to be uh, the people with the highest level of intelligence and knowing. Wow. Now, they don't really have as high intelligence as they think they do, 
But they usually are not stupid people, and they don't have low intelligence. And their intelligence quotient, as measured by a lot of standardized tests, might actually be quite high. But they are more concerned about knowledge, and their level of knowledge, I believe, is complete. They don't really deal with truth very much, because to them, truth is a is is a uh, more or less how should I say it? It's it, it, it's variable depending upon their needs to convince other people of the knowledge they have as being right. So it doesn't have to be true as long as you follow what they think is the right knowledge for people to be using at the time. Very interesting idea. And so this this general pattern, the things I'm saying are generalized. Not everybody that is a progressive follows exactly in. in in lockstep, everything I'm saying. But I'm trying to generalize so that we can understand something about this uh, this group, the grouping in our world. How many people are progressive in the United States? 15 to 20 percent. And how many people are atheists and agnostic in the United States? About the same. It's pretty close to that. So there's a kind of, there's almost an association process going on here. Now, there's probably a bit more, a few more people who are agnostic than, than uh, 20%, and you, and you might get a bit more than that. But over half the people have a belief in God, and they don't fall very well into most of the progressive ideas, although they sometimes are fooled by them and will follow progressive thought. As long as they're convinced in various, uh, we'll call it uh, devious ways, to follow it. And that's part of the plan of evil. Now, we kind of move from progressivism, I'm going to talk a little bit about evil. And uh, again, the progressive part you can read about in, in Denisha's book, and it's it's great. I think it's one of the best explanations yet said, although I have to read Ben Carson's version of it, because I just heard that that's really good, and I got his book, but I haven't finished it yet, so I'm going to have to get through that and find out. Uh, and Ben is great as well as a writer and, and a speaker, and I hope, possibly, as the president of this country at some point, maybe coming soon. But at any rate, the the whole the whole situation as it is right now is is founded upon uh, a plan of evil for a very 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 long time. So this this isn't a plan that was like hatched last week or something. This has been going on for ages. Evil has been waiting for the time when human beings become more mentally fixed in their thought process than they are astrally fixed. And you say, well, what's fixed mean? It means that they tend to think as much or more with their mental thought processes than they do with their astral thought processes. Astral thought processes are called, is called uh, astral imagination. Yeah, okay. Yeah, most people know what that is. Oh, I can picture it. I can picture it. Yeah, it's like a picture in your head. That's right. You have can have moving picture of, of things. And okay, that's that's great. That's imagination. And uh, people up to uh, just very recently have predominantly, but not excessively, in the last say hundred years, been thinking using astral imagination a bit more than they have the maniacic or mental processes, if you were to calculate.
calculate the amounts. And uh, the, the the funny thing about that is that one of the reasons for it is that the astral body has a dominance over the mental body in that the senses, the, the senses of form in the astral body, which are, we call empathy, are joined together. And uh, that takes a, uh, makes the astral body a bit more dominant in our feelings than our mental thinking is because those senses are not uh, joined together as well. They're joined a little bit, somewhat, but they're not joined as well. Now they're starting to join up a little bit more in people in general and some people more than others. And as these join together, uh, we are more and more dominantly thinking with the higher, it's called the higher, sensing body. And for a lot of people that we don't know that we're thinking with that body yet, but it's becoming apparent to some. And uh, this is going to sound strange, but progressive people actually tend to think using their uh, their mental body more than their astral body. Isn't that interesting? So you would think, well, they're more advanced. It's like they say they are. Well, the way they advance themselves, though, is not in becoming more conscious, which is in unifying the senses, but in increasing the use of separative or paired senses more than all of the seven senses together. As a matter of fact, they don't use the two highest senses of the heart and crown chakra of either the lower or higher mental bodies uh, very much at all. And because they don't use those senses very much in a conscious way, at least, at all, that's, I shouldn't say at all, but they don't use it very much in a conscious way, it, that causes them not to uh, find God very easily. As a matter of fact, someone who's less intelligent and uses less of these split senses, but less strongly, less, less uh, focused on, will have a greater chance of finding and sensing God with their heart and ground chakra senses than... Uh, does a person who is uh, using those senses in the reverse way. And so you see this leads to progressive folks and other kinds of people in that general genre, we'll say, uh, with a unique characteristic. They tend to be very prone towards loving knowledge and technology and, and civilization, and they're very, very prone to uh, developing their intellect, but not necessarily, as a matter of fact, somewhat in defiance to growing their consciousness, and especially in doing so in ways that leads to their creator, and cooperatively creating virtue, like form. And they don't do much of that. So they do it sometimes, though, but they don't do it on a consistent basis. So there's like a split in, in the human the human family, okay? And uh, the problem with progressives is that as you use the mental body the way they use it, they don't use it by joining the senses together and equalizing them. They just choose certain senses they prefer and make those much stronger. You become egotistical. Egotism is where the senses are imbalanced and some are very strong or relatively strong and others are very weak and you get a blockage of some types of thinking, some types of thought the, human, the uh, mental body will not sense properly, and those people literally can't even understand what they hear sometimes in a mental sense, the way the mental 
senses are perceiving, I should say. And the results are, are kind of uh, uh, dim, because what happens is that the folks like that, that have a lot of egotism, become more and more convinced that their thought is always right, <laughs> because they never, they, never, they never perceive any thought that really actually contradicts them, because they don't perceive it. There's no sense of it. And so they're convinced, they become convinced that they're right and we're wrong. <laughs> the other folks are wrong. And so they're, they can become very, very entrenched and tough to deal with. And um, because they are more mental than astral, uh, evil is seeking the participation of these people. So, in other words, you don't, you, you become like the target of evil, once you become egotistical enough and you have some progressive thinking going on, you may not have wanted or desired to be evil, but it's easier for evil to enter into your thought processes because you're thinking in tandem to some extent with some of the evil thoughts. Now, what are some of those tandem things that I'm talking about? Now, I'm going to go back. I'm going back and forth between the book review. I said it's a brief book review. So I'm going to go back and forth between what some things that uh, D'Souza says and uh, that uh, I've said. And then you, I'll try to blend these together. This is not so easy to do. <laughs> and I haven't really tried to do this before on this particular show. So this should be interesting, to say the least. Again, I will hold up this book for a second so that those people who are watching can see it. But, you know, uh, the thing about this is, and I'm, I'm actually trying to do this by reading a small portion of what D'Souza says, because I don't, normally I don't use any notes or anything when I teach, but this is so important to me that I don't misquote this man's uh, information on the air, because after all, he's not here, he, you know, so maybe he will be but in the future, but for right now, he's not here, so I've got to do him justice. Okay, so he talks about uh, one of the really, we'll say, strongest uh, dark influences in the 20th century. You may have heard this man's name before. I don't know if, if you have. His name is Saul Alinsky. Well, old Saul Alinsky, he started movements like the Students for Democratic uh, 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 Democracy, for instance. Uh, students for Democratic uh, uh, whatever it is. And there were really a bunch of young communists. I, I, when I went to college, they, they were running around the campus, some of them, and I uh, had a, um, a we'll say, platform. And, uh, he, but that, they never really represented his methodologies very effectively because he found that the younger folks were so emotional in their application of some of his methods that they were most of the time incapable of uh, succeeding. Uh, basically, he found people 35 and older much more likely to succeed, especially past the age of 30. So um, that's where he was hoping to get most of his community organizers and other people that were the most effective ones. And eventually he did. But So Salinsky came up with, we'll call it, four rules for radicals, from his book, Rules for Radicals. And D'Souza is trying to explain what these things actually do. And I'm going to kind of blend this together. The first 
one uh, is called polarization. What is that? It's a nice word, but it doesn't convince anybody much of anything just by saying you're polarizing people. And this, the object of polarization is for a community organizer or a president of the United States to convince people they must be a fighting group and separate from other groups to become individuals themselves. Now, that's, a, that's my explanation of it, different from what's in uh, America, the book. But it is, um, it is an important way of explaining it from this standpoint. And, of course, I've explained the same principle this way, not using the word polarization. And so what does it mean? It means that you're trying to get people to identify themselves as being a specific group that actually fights other groups to make them separate from other groups, okay, so that the people in the group themselves, uh, who usually have a lack of sense of individuality, which means there's something seriously upsetting in their personality development, um, to feel better. They think they're gaining individuality while they're becoming more and more group will say, part or part of a group that is separative and fighting other groups. And he calls this polarization. And you can have very large segments of society eventually doing this if you're good at it and you're a political genius like the President of the United States and his administration. And so you start picking out people. It doesn't matter who they are, just as long as you can get a, a large enough sum of them to identify with the group that you're choosing as being in the outs and are in a fight against the others who are trying to, in some way, prevent them from being individuals. Now, we've seen this happen with women in the last uh, election cycle, a couple of election cycles, the, the war on women, right? Women are a group. Well, that's the biggest, uh, the biggest group you can get in the United States because... It, you know, the majority of people in the United States are women. So they picked that because they figured even if they get a small percentage of that group, it's a huge number. And you get some women, and I'm going to apply this now so that you can understand it better as an example. You get some women together who uh, identify themselves as possibly members of Obama's uh, war on women, will say, against it, against the war on women, uh, and defenders, war on women defenders. And they're going to keep their individual rights, such as the right to abortion, the right to have uh, uh, free uh, kinds of ways of uh, preventing pregnancy and uh, uh, all kinds of other stuff. Um, they, they want to have that, and so they become a separate, separate group who actually are losing their identity. They don't realize it by this fight that's going on. That's a fake fight, by the way. It's not true. And that uh, uh, they believe that they're becoming more individual, may feel they're becoming more individual because they are fighting for something that they believe someone else or something else is taking away from them. Which, again, the fake part is that nobody's taking anything away from them, but you create this fakeness, you create this, uh, this dissension so that you can produce this polarization effect. And that's the beginning 
of how evil works. Now you can say, well, where did evil come up with this plan? Well, evil decided that this plan will only work on people who are finding it hard to be individuals in a mental sense, not just an emotional sense. So you have to bring up a subject that is mentally, intellectually argumentative. Okay? So that's the secret for it. And it's the reason evil hasn't been using this thousands of years ago. It wouldn't have worked. I mean, very simply. And, you, and, and you'll see that these four methods I'm going to introduce during this segment need today's society. They need the, the, where we are mentally. We need the technology uh, so you can reach masses of people. All kinds of things. Because a lot of this has to do with community or even country organizing. Okay, so that's the first step. Okay, the second step, which is kind of interesting, has to do with, I've talked about this very, uh, quite a bit, demonizing of God. You say, well, we didn't demonize God. But this is, again, evil. Evil wants us to believe that God doesn't exist. That's number one. Now, there's going to be too many people who believe in God, so they have the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin is, well, God does exist, <laughs> but uh, God is really a tyrannical, punitive, and destructive-to-life being that nobody should ever have want to have anything to do with because this thing is going to come down, you, down on you like a ton of bricks, and it's arbitrary, and, and it's all the things that the different religions teach you that you that you can't live with and do, etc. It, it restricts your ability to live, including having sex or drugs or other things that you might think are important. And so God, God becomes all of these negative qualities. It demonizes God. It makes God into, into evil. It's reversing the role of God. You see. And it hides what God really is. Of course, God is, seeks freedom in thought. It allows everything to freely think, to freely be, or this plan wouldn't work because God would stop it from working with the kind of contradiction in terms, right? But God isn't like that. So this plan will work because God isn't like this, but that's what they try to convince. So they they try to get people to uh, to believe that if God is existent, then it's like uh, a um, a, a, a super nasty dude that's going to do bad things to people. And, of course, we have religions that kind of convince us of that, you know. God is a punitive God. Thou shalt not, or thou you will be smitten into the whatever. Well, yeah, there have been a number of religions that have literally been convinced of this wrong explanation of God. But that's the way it is. So, evil says, well, let's use that. That sounds great. We'll get everybody to get away from God, and then there's open pickings for us. All right, so that's another method that's used. Demonization of God. So we have polarization and demonization of God is two of the things that D'Souza comes up with, coming from his uh, examination of Saul Alinsky's methods in rules for radicals. And these are enumerated 
in a little bit different way than I'm describing them in uh, in, in in Saul's uh, book, Rules for Radical. So this is coming from that, and I want you to understand where it, where this really dark guy came up with this stuff, and it's pretty effective if we don't understand it because it fools a lot of people. It's meant to. All right, and then the third thing that comes up, which is kind of interesting, is uh, the, the principle of envy leading to organization. Envy leading to organization. What the heck is that about? Well, it's a kind of an interesting thing. Let's start with the idea of envy. The idea is to convince people to live to get something for nothing because they're special. <laughs> they deserve get something for nothing, and others, capitalists, you know, people in power, those those people who are constantly taking from everyone else, all the rich people, etc., they are not fair and socially just to the people who are deserving, and should be, those people who are deserving want to get something for nothing. And they're convinced that that's a good thing. You deserve something for nothing. And eventually, those people who get something for nothing can never get enough, and besides which, there is not enough to go around. So in a short order, they end up not getting what they were even getting, and nowhere near as much as they want to get. And so they rise up and become organized. They self-organize to get back the things they were getting for free and want even more. And that's called envy that leads to organization. Wow, what a plan. And if you think about these things, I'm going to go back over these, these are things that are happening today. They've been happening ever since Obama became president on like a daily basis. This is going on all over the place. Okay? And then, finally, the last thing that uh, uh, D'Souza uh, gets into, which again is coming from Alinsky's Methods for Rules for Radical, is deception. Now, deception is not exactly what you might think it is. Deception is to convince people that evil does not exist, or, if that fails, that evil exists many places, but those places are actually where the good is. So good is constantly attacked as being evil. That's the deception. And evil is constantly being hid through deception and lies of being good. And it has to be done very frequently and changing the lies from day to day so that you can't catch them using high-energy methods of propaganda, which leads to almost an impossible array, a web of lies so great in propaganda that almost nobody can convince anybody else that they are lies by the time ten more are, are hatched. So deception is so strong, and it allows uh, the president to lie from day to day to day changing the subject, changing the lies, and some of the lies are against his opponents, the people he wants to get rid of. Those are the good folks. He'll say terrible things about 
even worse things, and he will take actions against them, like like uh, Mr. D'Souza, who probably is going to be in prison next month. You see, what they're doing is they're making sure that there is a one voice that you hear, and the voice is not of truth. The voice is the voice of evil. And this is help from what, if you listen to last week's show, by the Fourth Estate, which is one of the monkeys that I talked about last week, uh, that speaks no evil. So if you if you don't if you don't have a healthy and operating uh, you know group of uh, people in the uh, newspapers, and radio, and television, news industries, and all of those things, then the result is unfortunately uh, evils. Uh, evil can grow enormously faster with little resistance because there's nobody nobody reporting on what's going on. The reporters are like out to lunch because they are predominantly predominantly progressive and they predominantly believe in these areas of rules for radicals. So this is a scary thing because who is going to reveal the difference if we don't have a fourth estate, we don't have reporters and news agencies and uh, radio, television, newspapers, magazines, doing, saying, telling anything about it. Now, there's a few, a couple here and there, but there's hundreds against them. And so they get drowned out. Nobody hears them, or a few people do. I mean, people listen to them do, but they don't, other than that, they don't get a wider audience because too many people are used to going to the more traditional sources of information in reporting. And that's how it works. But part of this is in a collusionary situation between the administration that's in power and these agents. And, or not agencies, but, well, they are agencies, but these different news agencies, news sources, news, we'll say, uh, producers of news, and so they actually are working together. Now, they may not have uh, a conscious way of communicating that. They just wink and nod at each other, and they just, think it's just like they're all hypnotized. And they go along with evil's plan. And this is evil's plan. Evil has to have its own platform that is undisturbed and cannot be touched by, we'll call it, just and open-minded reporting of what it's doing. It can't have that. So it has instead this replacement that it uses. And it is extremely effective once it gets it going. The fourth estate becomes the super most important thing to prevent it, and yet it becomes part of it. This has happened before, but never like it is here in this country. Because before, when it happened, like in Nazi Germany and other countries, you know, in Soviet Union, when it happened there, there were there was very few ways to. Uh, to get the news out, and so it was easier to control it, and so they could make it 
done without much effort. Now, there's evil so good at it, there's huge amounts more news available, and yet they still control it at or above levels of 50 or more years ago, or 60 or 70 years ago. I mean, we're talking about truly amazing levels of success, if you want to call it that, in a scary place for all of us. Yeah, this, this is scary. So, you know, when we look at this thing and we see it, uh, it's the whole thing together gives us a kind of almost numbing chill. Like, is this the end? Just like it says in the book, imagine a world without her, without America. I have to tell you, that world won't last long. We're talking maybe a century or two. There'll be no more Earth. Gone. You could say, well, why can't evil take over the Earth and just live its own existence? Because evil is part of life still. And if you live life without its creator, it has a definite end. <laughs> definite end. It eats itself. It uses up its own energies. And eventually... It goes away. And the interesting thing about this whole plan is, it's called zero-sum planning, is that you don't grow except by taking from others, which isn't true, by the way. But that's what everything I just described in this beginning part of today's show is really saying. These people believe it. They believe there's only so much food, so much this, so much that, that you can have, and especially money, and somewhat land, and so if you if someone else gets it, you can't have it. But that isn't true. And we're going to talk about some of that when we come back, and a lot more. And it's in, again, Denise's book, which is fantastic, and the reason, again, I keep promoting it, because I think this is a terrific, terrific book. So make sure you make a note of that. And uh, we're going to come back uh, from... Uh, break in about uh, two minutes and 30 seconds, maybe 35 seconds, whatever it is, from right now. Hun, what book are you reading? It's a novel, kind of, about romance, love, and spiritual life in general. Kind of a novel? What do you mean? Well, it's based on some real-life experiences and even real characters. Some of their experiences are fascinating and remarkable. I can't put this book down. How come the title is Afterlife Love? That's part of the fascination. This book describes the afterlife in intricate detail and even explains why things are the way they're explained. But how can anyone write about or know that? Some of the characters travel out of body to some places that people who've already died also go to. I'm finding it completely believable because it all makes sense and fits into a bigger picture for me. Hun, what happens to these people? You can read it for yourself when I'm done if you want. Better yet, I'll get my own copy so we can discuss it while we read. Let me see. I'll write down the title. It's Afterlife Love by Niles McFlower, M-A-C-F-L-O-U-E-R. Afterlife Love is available in some bookstores and from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com or 480-966-3132. That's 480-966-3132. Hi, everyone. Since childhood, I've had questions about my life and life in general that I couldn't find adequate answers to. Questions like, why am I here? Why are others here? Does the universe have a purpose? And how does that relate to my life? 
More recently, I've been wondering what happens when we die, especially the reasons why. I'm more of a doubter than a believer in many things, and answers that include the whys allow me to think and figure out the truth for myself. I've been reading a book, Life's Hidden Meaning. This one book contains more answers, including the whys, than all other sources I've read or heard. It's amazing to me that every one of my questions has been thoroughly answered. More importantly, I have found that all of these answers so far have checked out to be true. I hope this message helps some of you in your quest for better understanding. The name of this wonderful book is, again, Life's Hidden Meaning by metaphysician Niles McFlower. Some bookstores sell it. I got my copy directly from the publisher at agelesswisdom.com. Life's hidden meaning may enlighten your mind and bring some peace and joy to your heart. back. This is Why Life Is. I'm Niles McFlower. Tonight, hey, we're talking about evil's plan. And uh, I've been giving a brief, uh, we'll say a book review, so to speak, about Denise D'Souza's book, America, Imagine a World Without Her, and the same titled movie coming out two weeks from today, in a lot of places anyway, on July 4th. I'm recommending that you pick up the book, read it if you can, and then also uh, go to the movie, watch the movie. I don't know all the places it'll be available. I know his other movie, 2016, is online right now, but I don't think the new movie will be for a while. And so either way, you can go ahead and uh, uh, watch and listen (laughs) or however... Uh, his great, uh, we'll say, uh, expose on uh, progressivism and uh, parts of evil, which he doesn't use exactly the same terminology I would do, but much of what I've heard me talk about uh, is part of what this book is about. And uh, also, the, uh, the movie 2016, if you haven't seen that, it's really good to see that movie especially since it was made years ago, and you can see since then, almost everything he said that was going to happen in the movie happened, and maybe some worse than that. So, let's talk about some history ourselves. Um, D'Souza talks about how history has been changed into looking at it from the bottom up, he calls it. We are... uh, the conclusions in his, by some historians that are particularly pro- progressive historians, and they have really taken a tremendous toll on what history now is, especially in higher uh, learning situations, but even in high school. Um, their, their explanations, and, and probably some elementary school, their explanations have to do with this concept of there being a zero sum. So what, that, what does that mean? That means that uh, in in economic sense, and a lot of history is controlled by economics. In an economic sense, there's only so much money, and if one person gets 
the basis of it. You can convert it to things like land, and you can convert it to things like, you know, how many widgets you have, or, you know, it can be any any kind of material idea or any form. And one would think that there's some truth to that, but it isn't true at all. It's a fallacy in our ability to understand the bigger concept. The bigger concept is that material forms are created from the invention of human beings. In the beginning, they're created by lower life. But there's very little of that done in nature until human beings create more of, we'll call it, uh, civilization, but it's also even the lower kingdoms are brought into play. They bring those into their own kingdom to expand their bodies and senses and make their life more interesting and creative and hopefully more virtuous, more enlightening. Now, in order to do that, humans have to use their higher mind, the conceptual part of it, and preferably the part that also touches into God. So we don't want to just create things that are inventive we would prefer to, or I would prefer, and I hope others would prefer to create things that are inventive and enlightening. When you do that, there is no end to the prosperity. You increase the amount of uh, everything, all forms, and the proof of that, all, all you have to do is look at the world. Uh, go back a thousand years ago. You are, or how about just a few hundred years ago? How many things were there? How much wealth was in the world? And isn't it true that it's all come because more humans exist and more humans exist creating more inventions and more parts of what we call the material world or society or the third part of the third ray part of existence, which in some cases includes all of technology. So when you can, but it's really civilization in general. When you put it all together, uh, this is not a zero-sum, it's the opposite. It's that the most creative, and especially those that are creating the most with light, I'll get to that part later, but we'll just assume what I'm saying for right now, are producing the most amount of increase in both wealth, in ideas, in the most important thing, meaning in life, which this Susan does not get into too much. But it, it is very important to realize that eventually it's what meaning in life is about. And then it's what God is about. It's how you find God is by doing this sort of gradual, step-by-step, using your higher consciousness to produce more. It's creation itself. And the more it creates light, it's creation of God itself. You're co-creating with God. Well, none of that is in the progressive ideology. None of it. Progressives believe in zero-sum ideation because they don't believe in God. That's the first thing. They don't understand any of the principles I just just explained. They actually believe that you have to redistribute wealth rather than create more of it so everybody has enough. So you take the wealth of whatever, from those who are the most creative and give it to the ones who are the least, so it's fear. (laughs) So that it's socially just. 
they actually call it that, social justice. And it's so lame brain, it's so unbelievably stupid that it's hard to believe that most of this is coming from people who are, quote-unquote, on intelligence tests, higher than normal. How could they be so wrong? Well, it has to do partly with the desire, the desire, even though they think more than they, they feel, but they still very commonistically connected, meaning that they still have a desire that's stronger than their thinking. And their desire is that they have a right to control others, and the only way they can have that right is to believe that there is a zero-sum system. Otherwise, their, their right goes away. They can't convince themselves or even or others that they should have such a right. The government should impose itself on others for this purpose of redistribution if it's not true. You see, that's the issue. If it's just not true, it's not true. It's so far from the truth that the opposite is. The more you redistribute wealth, the less wealth there is. Not the more. Why? Because the people that get the extra whatever you're going to give them, I don't care if it's widgets or dollars or land or, you know, an extra bathroom in their house. I don't think make a difference. Whatever you're going to give them, they are going to be less able to manage it in a way that it produces anything else, to keep it, to maintain it in a way that doesn't in some way depreciate it and cause it to maybe become destroyed or, or, or lessened. And they also are going to become more greedy. <laughs> and they're going to want even more of that which they didn't deserve in the first place. Because after all, if you're going to give them some, why not give them more? It's like an addiction. <laughs> and so it becomes very intoxicating and also destructive to society in general. And it is the foundation of socialism, it is the foundation, even more so, of most forms of communism, almost all forms of communism. And it is a, uh, it is a kind of, if you want to call it this, uh, virtually a plague on humanity. It is so destructive that within a couple of generations you can destroy a country with it. And guess where it's being used right now as I speak? Here, in the United States, if you live here. And uh, by who? Obama and his crew. They completely believe in social justice and redistribution well, and it does all the things I just said and much more. I just glossed over them quickly because I'm trying to give you just a general idea right now. And so this is this is fundamentally insanity. Now, why do they say they're doing it? Because they said there's evils in capitalism. Well, there were some, and there still are. What are the evils in capitalism? Evil in capitalism is like evil in anything else. If someone wants something for the sake of controlling others instead of for the sake of being creative of God in light, then it's evil. And you can do this in capitalism or any other isms if you want. But we 
have ways of controlling capitalism. One of them is anti-monopolistic laws so that people can't overly control people. We also have some types of uh, non-abusatory laws towards children and uh, uh, other uh, workers so that they can't be forced or worse, even allowed to work if they're below a certain age or, or in a certain uh, uh, dangerous situation that they aren't prepared for. Those kinds of things are have been well managed, uh, but they weren't if you go back more than 100 years ago. And so capitalism got a bad name because although a free market is the idea, you've got to have free markets. Freedom is the first part of God's mind, the first thing, you've got to have freedom. And markets provide that. But you can't have freedom without also having consciousness. Consciousness says how that freedom is best, best, um, we'll say, used by everybody else. So if you if you don't have that, if there's no consciousness about the use of freedom, there's no direction to the freedom itself, and it becomes sometimes only directed inwardly to those that are being creative and not towards those that they are creating things that others may be involved with or use, such as a worker working for a capitalist who is a monopolist and who wants to control too much of that worker's life and to the detriment of the worker and the benefit only or mostly of the capitalist monopolist person. We have found that to be the case, and we have changed a lot of that here in the United States. So obviously, obviously, you can't have complete, uh, uh, you can't have free markets that are so free that there are no regulations, no rules about anything involved in the interactions in the markets, because in those situations, some people become so powerful on an individual or corporate level that people can no longer create themselves because their creativity is stifled. The stifling of creativity is different than the redistribution of wealth. If you want to stop, if you want to prevent the stifling of, of, of creativity or thought in general, you have a constitution and uh, a government that prevents it. That's a good thing, by the way, and it's called the United States, and it's called our Constitution, which could be slightly improved from where it is right now, but it's darn good. The progressives want to get rid of that Constitution because they want government to directly control our lives and not prevent governments and or corporations and or those with excessive powers from preventing us from living or living the kind of life we choose to live. That's the purpose of our system. That's the purpose, the rights of the minority, it's called. And that's the purpose of our Constitution. And it works well if it's followed. At the present time, it is not being followed. The President, Obama, has decided that our Constitution isn't good because it limits government and not oppressive powers and people, etc., and not and he wants it to give government power. He doesn't want government limited. That's a terrible thing. Because government is the worst thing you could have. 
corporation. It's like a giant corporation, super giant. You have no you have no defense to it at all. It it can completely control almost anything and everything. And that's what's happening today. That's why we have fifty, sixty thousand kids on our borders or over our borders and probably ten times that coming. And it's why we have all the other things that are wrong. Because government is being used against the people. Because the Constitution is being ignored or twisted, used, misused in ways in which it was not meant to be interpreted. And of course, this administration doesn't care. It just does whatever it wants. So that's what it's doing. Now, when we look at this from the from the standpoint of wow, if if we were going to uh, solve some of these problems, what we need to do is to stop with the progressivism and uh, get people to wake up. You know, like it's hello, evil is here. The plan's working for evil, and you know, uh, four more years, eight more years of 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 this kind of thing going on, and there won't be this country anymore. But it gets worse than that because the United States was an experiment created by spiritually disciplined people to bring about a change in the world of freedom. And freedom was the most critical thing. And then the most, the next greatest thing was consciousness, an improvement in consciousness to balance the freedom so that God could be found. And finally, uh, a freedom of ownership of property on a limited basis. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's kind of odd. And this is, I want to bring up this uh D'Souza book again. He talks about property, and he says, you know, property, he doesn't get to the root of it because he's not you know, writing a spiritual book exactly, but um, he says that property is there to be used when it's needed uh, and useful for someone who's using it in a way that helps create more. As long as you use whatever property you've got to be creative, you're using it appropriately. If you use it just to hold on to or to prevent other people from being creative, and using it more. Okay? I agree with that. Actually, almost 100% agree with that. But there's a reason for that that he doesn't necessarily understand. And it has to do with the soul journey and reincarnation and things like that. We're here. We're here on a temporary basis. Very short period of time. About 100 years at most for most people. That's nothing. And in that period of time, no matter what property you have, you've got to look like it. It's over the moment, it's really a temporary issue, right? It's going to go to somebody else under some other basis. And that is okay. And I like Jesus's concept that the property should be used in ways that are benign and creative and helpful, that you, you take the property and make it into something more. If you don't make it into something more, you shouldn't have it in the first place. And you can't assume that the property you have is yours forever. In the past, people would get property by stealing it. They just go in and use force and to get it. Like if a country wanted more property, they'd attack another country and take it. Uh, and the, the, it was a property was conveyed from kings and government. Well, that's crazy. Here in the United States, uh, it was decided that property you have a right to limited ownership of property. What does that mean? That you can use the property. Now, there. this is where it gets kind of strange. You can use the property, but your right to use is some
and what defines by how you use it. If you really don't use the property, a government may come in and find a better use. Somebody else may find some better use in which you may have a difficulty in maintaining your ability to keep control of the property under certain circumstances. This is true. Not always true, but that's true. In intellectual property, this is very true. The United States is the first country to really protect intellectual property. And as of a couple of days ago, it stopped doing that because of a ruling by the Obama administration and the Redskins of all things. I mean, so we're really on the verge of throwing out the very things that make us who we are, including things about how we handle property. Why is property so important? Because in this world, the physical world, we have to learn how to cooperate and share properly. If we can't, then we haven't created more of God here, and you have to be able to deal with property to be able to cooperate and share. That's the reason. It's the crux of the situation. And D'Souza isn't so much explaining it that way, but I am. And so we, we reincarnate. That's another part of this equation. Uh, one of the big arguments uh, that D'Souza says progressives are using is that so many people have had so much property removed from them. The Mexicans had part of Mexico taken from them. The Indians had, American Indians, had part of their lands taken from them. There's no question of that. And sometimes it was done against treaties and other stuff. That's definitely wrong. If you're making agreements, you should keep it, right? Well, I agree with that. But here is the point. Here is the point. When a group of people say they own something, and they have it taken from them, when they reincarnate again, who and what do they still own, if anything? Let me give you another example. Let's look at the slides. People came here from Africa, forced in chains, to give up their time and energy to produce food, shelter, clothing for others. That was the deal, if you want to call it that. And they were given small amounts of it in return, but they lost their creative creative abilities and freedom, which is, there's no way to even compute that. It's impossible. They lost a major part of their lives, right? Okay. But the slave owners, maybe in their next lifetime, were born as black people in Africa. And then were brought to this country or some other country and enslaved. Think about that. Now you can start seeing that this isn't so easy to deal with by property, is it? So you want to give the people <laughs> that used to be the slave owners some degree of restitution for what they did in their last life. Uh, You see how it isn't what we think it is. We live in illusions. And people who lived in other countries that we took some land from, like Mexico. Well, Mexico uh, was a a terrible government uh, imprisoning and enslaving some of its people and basically uh, was corrupt at the time. This is like in the 1820s, 1830s. And we took land from them. And by 1845, we took a whole bunch of land from them. And we, and we, we didn't necessarily hurt those people. Some of them stayed here, others left. 
but the point is that the people who live in those lands now are far more free. So giving that land back to Mexico now would be insane. They're still corrupt. They still have major problems. And so they haven't been good caretakers of their land. And using the Sousa's logic, if you're misusing your land, if you're a corrupt government, you shouldn't keep your land. You should lose it. Other people should either take it away from you or the people who live there should revolt. So you see, there's a whole range of understanding that are different in the progressive ideation that somehow we have to reinstitute, give back to all the people we took from because everything, if you do that, you go back to the beginning of time. I mean, the Indians that we claim that we did take stuff from and we did some things that are completely illegal, that's wrong. Now, there has to be restitution of some sort with that, but but we did this ad hoc. We did it clear across the United States. We took lands from it. But the problem is they came here before and took lands from prior Indians. And back and back and back and back in time. Well, eventually you get people that came from Asia. Some of them came from Asia. And they, uh, they there may not have been people here, but they took land from the animals. I mean, no matter how you look at it, that type of logic just doesn't work. The one who is there first isn't the person who are being your group that has property rights. Those that have property rights are those that are giving the most back through the use of whatever property they have. If you don't use it, you will eventually lose it. And even if you think you're going to lose something, you won't if you use it properly and help others. Amazing, miraculous things will happen. You'll still have it for years to come, even though you would think that you won't. So if you found you lost something in the last 20 years or something, you know, how you lost it, how you lost it, you, know, you lost the farm, you lost this or that, it's because you weren't using it right. You weren't doing the right thing. And it's inevitable that's what's going to happen. It's inevitable. Now, can you enter an evil system that will protect you from that? Yes. If you enter corruption, particularly in a communist system or a progressive system, then you can prevent it. You can hold on to things, have enormous amounts of things, and use them more. Use them to even take more from other people. And for a while, that system works. It's evil. Evil protects itself. It keeps itself going in an artificial way by stealing power, which is energy, from others. If you steal the power from others to keep yourself going, as long as you keep stealing it, once you start stealing it, you've got to keep stealing it at higher and higher rates. But you can do it for a while. Because it's a Ponzi game. Eventually, there's not enough energy. Not enough. To keep your own senses and bodies intact, much less anything else you're holding in property, to keep it going before you lose it. Eventually, it cracks. It goes away. It disappears. And you won't have it. Now, D'Souza is not going to go that deep into that part of it, but he does a decent job on it. And he's saying the things that people need to hear at least on the surface. And I really think that we need these kinds of explanations. Not everybody is into angels. Wisdom, understanding, spiritual subjects. It's too hard for them or they're not interested in it. 
it's okay. They're not listening tonight. <laughs> but you are. And so you, yeah, you want more, but that's fine. But you still can read this book and explain it to others. And you, it becomes a bridge. It helps. And the movie will do that, I'm sure. Okay, so let's talk about some other things in Evil's Plan. Well, Evil's Plan comes directly to the administration that is here. This is the most successful in all time on Earth, the most successful administration that has ever, in the same period of time, produced this level of evil change in relative terms. There's no question. If you look at Nazi Germany, in the same period of time, Hitler produced more evil, but not in relative terms, more evil change. Because already, because of what had happened before him and what was done at the Treaty of Versailles and all the other stuff, Germany was very dark by the time he even got to control Germany. And so when you look at it, he and his cohorts were, were really not doing as much as Obama was. Obama was amazingly successful. I mean, you may hate him, but you have to give the devil his due. And the guy is an incredible evil SOB. And so when you look at him, you've got to say to yourself, this is a person who has followed all the stuff I said at the beginning of the show, and he is one of his teachers. One of his teachers directly followed Sal Lewinsky's uh, information. Obama himself was too young to know Lewinsky personally, because Lewinsky died in 71. Obama was born in 63. You do the math. But the, see, the thing is that he didn't need that. He just needed to be taught it. And he was. Over and over again, he chose people who were immersed in this stuff. He became the embodiment of both progressivism, something called colonial version of communism. He, he melded those two together with political activism and uh, a means of, of organizing um, groups of people, first on a small basis in Chicago and eventually half of this country. And he's managed to do this by lying at a rate that puts Hitler to absolute shame. Now, granted, he has the use of a, of a whole industry of, uh, of news and information that was unavailable at the time of the Nazis and, and the fascists in general, be it in Italy or, or Germany or anywhere. That they, and it wasn't just them. The Soviets did the same thing. So, I mean, he was... He, he, but he's become a great student. He's followed this plan, evil's plan, in a way which is remarkable. Now, in my opinion, he's done this before in prior lifetimes. He's been some great people in prior lifetimes, but who has done great havoc same time. This is a guy who is unique in his ability. There's there's not going to be another Obama for a while, unless he himself incarnates very quickly, which could happen. The thing is that he has unique abilities to lie to people through their face and then think he's not. This is a great, we'll call it, skill. He's so confident in, his, in, in himself 
that he has no trouble learning from minute to minute or day to day about the most radically uh, absurd, contradictory things and get away with it. And he's convinced by his own performance that he could lie his way out of anything. Which means, in his way, he has sort of a, a nar- well, he has definitely a narcissistic personality disorder, but the, the, lots of politicians have some part of that. He, but he has is, he is perfected that to the point where people love him, literally, love him for the way that he wants them to see himself. He's created an image of himself that is uh, virtually um, uh, 180 degrees from who he really is, but it is so, um, we'll say, almost untarnishable because of his ability to learn that uh, people don't see the real him. They only see the image that he projects of who he wants them to see. This is a very, very dangerous person, and he wields power behind the scenes like no one else. He is controlling almost every element of our government. Even the part he doesn't control, like the House of Representatives, he's controlling by doing things behind the scenes that counter their moves to the point where they're almost paralyzed. And this is true of Republicans in general. Paralyzed Republicans because he has convinced so many people that they are so bad, that he's so good, that no matter what the Republicans say, even though it's mostly true, uh, people don't believe it. <laughs> At least they haven't until recently. Now, he's making some mistakes because evil's plan is to go a bit slower than Obama's plan. Obama's plan is evil, but it's super evil. It's evil on steroids. It's like he wants to. Uh, finish his plan before he's out of office, which is not going to be possible. He realizes that now. So he um, has uh, almost a fanatic, like, i got to get it done before, and I can't get it done. So he's got, he's pushing too hard in too many places at the same time to achieve results that will counter the overall number one part of evil, which is to not let people see it. And he's becoming more visible. The evil that's in him, which is huge, is becoming more visible. And in the visibility, there's a great danger that the rest of his plans could fall down around him. Now, he may not, it may not happen this year, but it might happen next. And so he may not accomplish what he thinks he's going to accomplish by speeding things up and pushing harder, he may actually go the opposite way as he moves towards the twilight of this uh, presidency. Regardless, he's a dangerous, dangerous dude. He is so against the economy of the United States that he will do anything and everything to destroy it, even, even if he loses some political ground with certain groups in some ways. Because... He, the general the general picture is he wants to control, and he wants to have things go exactly the way he has believed they need to be, and he's willing to effectively, uh, seriously lose some votes and even give up quite a bit of personal change, personal money that he 
he's definitely corrupt, and he can exchange some of his power for personal money anytime he wants. Right now, he's dead set on trying to accomplish so much more than even the plan of evil has. The plan of evil is for Obama to probably achieve uh, about half of what he wants to achieve, and but still more than what he will achieve if he keeps going down the road he's going, I'm hoping. But we don't, we don't know. Maybe he's right. Maybe evil's wrong. I don't know. He's, he is evil, but he is standing outside of it to some extent. He's more evil in some ways because he's more willing to reveal himself at this time, not two years ago, but now. More willing to reveal himself now than evil wants. Evil does not like to do stuff. It really doesn't. And you have to, in order to counter the amount that evil is exposed, you have to virtually double the amount or triple the amount even that you convince people that good things are actually evil to counter it. And he is having a harder and harder time doing that. So it's, let me give you another way of explaining that. So if, if let's say that you have uh, a number of ways to uh, force people to do certain things, and you keep that pretty well hidden for a long time, and then suddenly some of it becomes revealed, that you were forcing people to do things they didn't know you were forcing them to do, and now they realize you're forcing them. You can counter some of that using the evil plan, if you could convince people that others that are doing good, at least twice as much or more of others that are doing good than the fact that you're doing evil that was revealed, are doing actually evil. You convince them, you deceive them. If you're willing to de- can get that deception, it will counter the amount you're, be- you're, you're seeing, and then you're okay. It's sort of like a balancing thing. But it can't be just a one-to-one ratio. You've got to get about a two-to-one ratio to really make it work. Why is that? Because there's a thing called momentum. Once the momentum starts slipping away, you really have to have about twice as much uh, forces in the opposing direction to reverse the momentum that was created from people being able to see the evil that you created before. Okay. So, that's his dilemma right now, and uh, he's trying to do that, but uh, he's not being as successful this year than last, or the year before, than the year before that, in defraying some of his exposures to good people and making them look evil. He was better at it before than he is today, and he has more than he has to create of it, so he's really losing ground. And that's the reason he's not in evil's plan, because evil's plan doesn't include losing ground. It likes something where it's always gaining something. And so at this time, he's outside of the plan for evil in general, but within it to some extent, because he's still very, very evil. So there you go. Now, I hope you understood everything I just explained, because that's a little complicated. And... uh, uh, I know that for some people, it's you know it's strange your your thought process to even follow what I'm saying. But the thing is, you can re-listen to it too. You can after we get the show up, you can go back and say, now what did that guy say? Because I couldn't quite follow all that. And then.
And that's a way that you can kind of get get that information back so that you can make sense out of it. All right. So, and again, if you look at what I started the show with, it fits some of those things I explained. But these are more specific circumstances. So maybe as examples, you may even understand them better. That's a possibility. There's more to this now than just even what I'm saying. The uh, other side to the coin of, we'll call it, (laughs) the uh, progressive plan is in education. Um, In the past, most uh, people who were progressive, and I'm talking about before, about 1930, 40, now, uh, most people that were in uh, the progressive movement uh, joined progressive groups and stayed within the line of those groups and became community organizers, usually were labor organizers, and other kinds of things like that. That worked for a while okay. The problem was that uh, they became uh, literally exposed, and they were mostly dealing with adults. Progressivism is so wrong that uh, most people, as they get into their 30s to 40s, begin to realize the misnotions that I talked about at the beginning of the show, and it starts to dawn on them. There's no such thing as a zero-sum game. The whole thing is a bunch of BS, and it's not the truth. And then, of course, they lose those people in their movement. But they figured a way around that is to um, teach children progressivism, but call it something else, of course, and not make it so much about activism, which is uh, okay for adolescents and beyond, but uh, very inappropriate for young children, and they don't work. it doesn't work with them. They don't have anywhere near the discipline to do any kind of activation. Uh, they get lost in it and may even find it uh, uh, something they dislike. So you don't want to do that. What you want to do is to train their mind to be closed-minded, egotistical, and to interpret history and philosophy and science only in the ways that support the zero-sum game idea and capitalism is bad and get the ideas of socialism and communism into them early, and other kinds of supporting measures for progressive thought. This is and has been since the 30s to 40s, and some of this is a small amount of this in D'Souza's book, uh, has become the dominant issue is education. But uh, it started at the university level, believe it or not, where it didn't work well because those people were too active and without enough common sense and uh, immaturity to control their activities, so they became uh, immediately visible to others as being stupid and, and uh, they didn't have a, a positive effect on progressivism, they became negative. So they were, that didn't help. But as they moved down into the younger, lower grades, they found it was very successful. And this is where most of the emphasis is today, to uh, brainwash children into believing these um, completely illogical and incorrect facts. The children's a higher mind don't have the capability to go deep enough into the concepts to see the errors. And it kind of makes a simple sense argument to say that if somebody gives you a dollar, 
you have a dollar and they don't. And therefore, there's a zero sum that's going back and forth in all of society. That kind of makes sense to a 10-year-old, for sure. It may not make sense to a 30- or 40-year-old, it does to a 10-year-old. And so they had a lot more success as they started getting this into the younger grades. And what they have done is they have introduced progressivism in all disciplines in, in school, everything from history, social studies, uh, even some, in weird ways, some parts of science. All of it has been uh, promoted uh, to convince people that there is there are these progressive, we'll say, ideologies that are absolute truths that everybody should listen to and ignore anything that contradicts those truths. The most important thing is the ignoring factor. It's not so much you're training people to believe in an untruth, is that you're training them to not be able to hear the truth, not be able to perceive the truth. I use the word hear and sometimes in place of perception, but it's really they can't perceive the truth. And without perception of truth, you've won the battle. You've got someone, as they grow older, become an ally and and a strong follower and eventually an even leader of the progressive movement. Whoa. They can become staunch communists, and it wouldn't make much sense that they could if you start with an adult. Starting with the children, it's very doable. It is. And it's happening all over the United States. Um, one of the things that's least visible of the Obama administration is that this is where they're pushing everywhere to do. It's least visible because, unfortunately, we don't look carefully enough at what's being taught to our children, particularly in public schools. It's somewhat done in weird ways, and let me try to explain these because it's a little bit complicated. Please stay with me on this. The unions uh, of public school teachers and uh, even principals, etc., um, have a major, uh, we'll say, investment in surviving through the tenure principle, which means that if you if you last longer, just stay there. It doesn't matter how well you teach or whatever you do then you can't be fired. <laughs> okay, you lousy job, whatever. But the most important thing is that if you can make it seven years, depends on the school, follow me on this, and you're, teaching, you're actually a progressive and a strong ideologue progressive, but you don't let anybody really know about it during the first six and a half years, when you get to the seven years, no matter what you do, no matter what you choose to teach, even if you're told not to, you can get away with it because they can't fire you. Okay, now, how does this work with the unions? Well, the unions want members, and members last longest and stay in the union the most when they're tenured because the union keeps getting them more and more goodies, which is, you know, all the benefits after the pay package, and they get usually a bit more money they may actually make more money if there wasn't tenure because it would be greater competition, but they don't care about that. This is job security and more goodies that they're getting, something for nothing. And the most important thing is that 
the union becomes the stronghold of the progressive both-side position that helps the teachers do stay, say, and, pro- and promote uh, the progressive ideas even though they're ruled. And then parents have little they can do about it because you can't fire the teachers. And in some cases, they can't send the kids elsewhere. There's no place to send them. They don't allow it in some places, and in other places, it's too expensive or too time-consuming. And there's such a thing as homeschooling in a lot of places, but how many people have someone who can school at home? You know, a lot of families have both parents working these days, and some families only have one parent. It's a real problem. You know what I'm saying. All right, so when... <clears throat> excuse me for one second. I'm just going to take a quick little shot of this. Got to spray my voice so that it, I can keep going another hour or so. All right, so they're tr- they're trying to basically, uh, we'll say, brainwash our children. That's it. Because if you if you get the children's the next couple generations, and once you get that, you're you're done. And so that's what that's where the major attempt is happening right now that most people don't know about. It's not being reported even in the more uh, we'll say conservative news outlets, they're not talking much about what's happening in education. They talk about it in a very general way, but they don't go to any specifics. There's no stories I ever see on it or anything. Like this particular school just took it out. You don't know anything about it. We almost need to have all those compiled, uh, all every place people are being taught anything, and to, to what level is progressivism, disguised in ten different other names, possibly, being uh, being sold, being used exclusively or mostly in a particular place. That would be helpful so then parents could make decisions and so could students as they get older. And it would be a much better place. You might think your kids go into a great college and find out it's the bastion of progressivism they're going to come back, you know, as Marxists. Or worse. I mean, you, you don't you don't know, and that's the danger of the situation. Now, it's true if they were raised in a, an open-minded environment, they're not going to come back. Marxists, even if you send them, if you send them to Russia, they wouldn't come back, or China, they wouldn't come back that way because they've already understand the truth and can can even maybe talk about it the way I am in tonight's show. That's what you need. Then you don't have to worry about your kids. You know? But that's what's missing. What I'm saying to you is almost completely missing in public education and even in a lot of private education. It's missing. Well, I know they have these school systems that are you know, charter schools. But not all the charter schools are any different. Some of them are very progressive charter schools. So don't think all oh, of well, the charter schools are fine. You gotta check it all out. You gotta go and look at what books are using. And who is the teacher? Teacher makes even more is more important than maybe even the book itself. But both go together. And the more that you have labor units involved and tenure, the less that the teachers are gonna likely be teaching open minded subjects and have a lot of thinking going on. Greatest schools are the ones that work on solving creative problems rather than teaching people rotes 
together. Some wrote things you need to learn, or probably, you know, adding, subtracting. It's hard to do that, but you need to learn how to read a little bit. But the point is that most of the issues in school have to do with creative thought. If you don't do that, then the people come out not thinking. Remember what I said about property? Well, if you can't use the property in any creative way, you eventually will lose the property. Especially if you use it in a negative way. If you're selfish and it's used, it for sure is going to go bye-bye. So whenever you think you're going to have, as when people say, oh, I want my kid to have this or that, we're not going to have anything. that don't come out of their thinking. And then people say, well, they'll get it from the government. The government will pay them to be stupid bumps on the log. Not for long, because there won't be any money to pay them. A zero sum is a, is a full game. Eventually, nobody has anything. It's true. Read the uh, the three volumes of Atlas Shrugged and see what you see. And see that, or get the movies because that tells you a lot. All right. So, in, in, in reality, we are facing the greatest dilemma from our educational system that nobody right now, in my opinion, is reporting properly. Uh, so be aware that this is the hidden giant that scares me more than anything. Uh, now, partly because I teach myself, I, I worry about it, but but it's it's also because it's more hidden than other things, and that's scary to me. People are very complacent about public schools, and that's where it's rampant uh, as far as the progressive ideology. I mean, God is gone. And worse than that, it's the thing that I talked about in the beginning, God has been demonized, and that's very frightening. Remember, that's part of evil's plan. God is anti-God. Everything's inside out, upside down, and you can't tell truth from anything. But you can if you develop it in your mind. Then you'll know. It's just that it isn't developed, if it isn't developed by about age 14, it's a, it's a huge danger. That's a big danger. You've, you've got to start developing it by age 14, and it has to be somewhat workable or working by age 21, and used and created by age 21. This is, this is, these are very important issues. And a lot of people, a lot of children and adolescents, it's not, it's not going that way. For and, you know, the weird thing about it is that when you when you don't teach children properly, they become much more likely to use drugs, much more likely to become uh, some kind of delinquent of some sort, and they also may become sexually promiscuous. Now, maybe I should start talking about that subject. Uh, this is, it talks about sexuality and the expression, overexpression of sexuality in a, a we'll say, de- demeaning way, destructive way. Sex, sexuality should be beautiful. Um, it brings into the book how homosexuality really is part of progressivism, which is so interesting. The two are joining together. I'm not going to bring too much into that in tonight's show, but you, you read about that, and I found it from the very very uh, enlightening to understand how the relationship goes hand in hand. But the most 
important thing is sexuality in general. Sexuality is a uh, part of close relationships between, well, supposedly man and woman. I mean, the purpose is to allow people to love someone that is intrinsically uh, different from them, being an opposite sex, and be able to change some of the energy within themselves to fit the needs of the other person in a different sex range. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful idea. Most people don't know that, and it's a concept that should be taught in school because then children learn to appreciate sexuality as something greater than the stimulus, excitement kind of thing it is to emerging teenagers. They have no control over their emotions because they don't have the light that's needed to control it that I just described. If they understood it better and could recognize it for what it fully can do, they would respect it more and respect themselves and their partners more and, uh, we'll say, indiscreet and, uh, well, just wantonly using sex for any kind of feeling expression would reduce. Not that it won't, that teenagers still won't do it, they will, but not to the levels we have and not in such destructive ways as they sometimes find themselves in. I'm not talking about just, uh, you know, pregnancy. There's a whole other thing. I'm talking about just sexuality as an expression. Then then there would be less uh, less pregnancies that weren't planned and uh, a better control over the, the way it, that sexuality would be used in general. doesn't mean that children, by my mind, children, adolescents, won't have sex. It just means that they will at least grow from the sex they have into more virtuous people and grow closer among themselves and develop stronger personalities that are more virtuously connected to a higher self-principle. And that's really big. That's a, those are big factors. So you have less personality disorders, this is a weaker personality by far, and you would have, a, you would have many more of the appropriate, uh, we'll say, relationships as you get into later teenage years and into early adulthood so that marriages will become sounder, probably formed a little bit later and most likely with much better success ratios in terms of people staying together. Therefore, family units become stronger, and boy, is that important. The family is really a, a, a huge factor because when we were talking, when I was talking a few minutes ago about education, well, if the family is strong enough and you, you impart the greatest values, the best values, the child themselves will look out for themselves, even in a school that's highly progressive or highly non-God-oriented or anti-God or anti-virtue. That child will say, I don't like this place, and they'll vocalize it to their parents, and their parents will say, let's do something about this. This is no good. So the parents have to be less on guard when the family structure is so good to begin with. Good families come from relationships between two parents, man and a woman, that are relating to each other 
sexless ways in Korean sexually, and that how, uh, as a fundamental part of their, we'll say, self-structure, the higher self, the soul part of them, as the most important part of their life. The meaning in their lives comes from that, and they impart that upon their children at a very early age. In the beginning, the child may not fully understand it. Of course, these are complicated, big concepts, maybe way beyond, you know, like a two, three, four, five-year-old, but it's even a tiny fraction of a seed of that at the very beginning can make a huge difference in the next dozen years after that. So you can have major effects, which is starting from the smallest seed. Of course, the opposite is true, unfortunately, and the progressives have found this to be the case. So they try to get kids in preschool uh, teaching them that God doesn't exist and that uh, that you should only be concerned about uh, everybody having the same of everything else and there's the social justice in the world and that you should always be politically correct. What is political correctness, anyway? Political correctness is censorship for the benefit of the state and certain groups that the state protects. Does that make any sense to you? First of all, if a group needs to be protected by the state, there's something inherently wrong in the whole system. I'm not saying that there might not be a case where some group needs to be protected by the state, but something else went awry long before that in the way that system was devised. So here is the point. Here is the point. When we're looking at that kind of, and I'm jumping around a little bit because I'm trying to cover a whole range of subjects tonight. But if you've got a, if you've got a, a situation where people are uh, being censured, uh, and you try, you're trying to get them to censure themselves, which is what progressives try to do, and if that isn't working, then you put pressure on them in very many other ways. Like just this week, uh, the patent office is putting pressure, huge pressure, on a, a, a football team. Does that make any sense to you? Because they don't like their name. The Redskins, the Washington Redskins, for some reason, is, is against the patent office's edict of trying to do what? Well, some crazy law was put in by some progressives, again, supported by some Republican and Democratic progressives, that patents should not disturb minority groups because they politically misname them or affect them adversely. I don't know the entire extent of the law, but they're actually using this law now, the Obama administration is to put, use the patent office to remove the patent, they already did it, from the Washington Redskins. Now, where did that name come from? Well, what I heard on television, I think it's correct, is about uh, close to 100 years ago, uh, maybe a little less than that, um, one of the big coaches of the team, I think he was, or I, I don't know if he was owner, maybe he was the manager, I'm not sure. It wasn't, maybe it wasn't the coach, he was manager. But um, was a, a Indian, American Indian with red skin, or something like that, and uh, that's where the name came from. He was a Washington Redskin man. 
manager, and it stuck. And so then they took on the entire team being called the Redskins. Now, is that a bad thing for American Indians that they became that one of their members became a manager of a team, and they used the fact that he had red skin as a What is so discriminatory, so negative about that concept? Does it make any sense? Well, the law that was passed said that if enough people, like 5% or something, of the people don't like the name, you've got to change it, or at least you can't patent it. Well, 5% of the people don't like anything in this country. So I guess patents are going to go bye-bye. That's true. Does it make sense to you? It's censorship. It's control. It's the First Amendment going completely out the window. This is so much against the Constitution. It's ridiculous. And it's already done. Bang. That's it. Done. Now, it doesn't mean that the Supreme Court or somebody else won't eventually try to reverse this thing. Make, but that takes sometimes decades, if not many years. I don't know if the Washington Redskins would go out of business from it, but some companies would. Some people would be severely harmed by having their name taken away, or at least not protected so that other people won't use it in some nefarious and dishonest way. Heck, right now, you can start making Washington Redskin uniforms and sell them to the public, and nobody could really stop you from doing that. Now, there's some argument about that. There's some belief that you could still sue, and maybe some court would say, well, whether or not you have to have a patent on it, you certainly still have a right to control the use of the name, but patents were there for, they're in the Constitution. They're in the beginning of the the U.S. Constitution, first article. Why is it so important? Because it allows the right to have intellectual property. It's a concept that began in the United States and it's about to end. And this is a critical element to the development of mental truth in the minds of people. If you get rid of this, you get rid of one of those chinks in the armor, you get, don't get rid of it, you get a chink in the armor that allows the dark side to move into what is known as the fifth subplane. And the Obama administration is directly involved in this, Obama himself. This is a very, very, very evil thing, although most people don't see it that way because they don't understand what it means. It means some of the most awful possible things could start happening in short order. And it goes directly against the Constitution. Directly against it. It's this unconstitutional. And a lot of people say, well, the law was there for the last two or three years. Why didn't somebody do about it? something about it? Well, what are you going to do? It was passed. I, my, my understanding was passed when both houses were under Obama's control. And nobody even knew about it. They just put it through one day. Get rid of that little pesty thing. We don't need the First Amendment. We don't need the first article of the Constitution. We don't need patents that protect people from intellectual property. We'll control it. See, it gives control to the government. The patent office now decides something. 
that is an intrinsic right that should not be decided based upon even the guidelines they have, which is like a few percent of the people don't like it, you can get rid of it. But even if it was a majority of people that didn't like it, it would still go against the rights of the minorities, which is what the Constitution is there to protect. That's kind of scary. I'm going to go in for another little sprite here because I'm doing a lot of talking tonight. Hold on. There I go. And my voice should get a little bit better, more clear. I'm using this stuff that's called Clear Voice. I will get more of a little plug because it works. Clear Voice. It's a little spray thing. You can buy it in a lot of different places. Okay, so... Back to it. Oh, I like, by the way, I like the lemon honey one. <laughs> the other ones I don't care for that much. But you can try any, any version and see which ones you like best. If you need it. If you do a lot of talking, it helps. Okay. So I'm jumping around a little bit because there's just so much to talk about this subject. What is the rest of evil's plan that I didn't cover yet? Well, some other areas that evil is intended change, um, includes the idea of what we call marriage. Now, I'm not just talking about homosexual marriage. I don't think it's that narrow. The process of understanding what marriage is has to do with how you raise children and how you have, well, even have children, that's what, how you raise children, and it goes into very deep areas of existence. Family existence is so important that societies that have had even minor disruption in that part of them have almost invariably ended within decades of time in the past, historically speaking. So it's a very critical area, and it's a highly sensitive one. And progressives are moving towards what is known as relativism in sexuality and relativism in marriage relationships. What does that mean? Well, what it means is that instead of marriage being between a man and a woman, or even between two people, marriage could be any number of people in any in any other kind of relationship who just say we want to get together and some of us want to have children, maybe with different people together or however, maybe we won't even know who had what. That where we're moving towards. And in the last couple of weeks, there have been several, reported in the news, families that have constructed themselves, whether it's three women, four or five men, whatever. And the sexuality is not only polygamous, uh, it's completely open, not only in the family, but to members outside the family, and this sort of behavior gives children a sense of insecurity. Now, why is that? Well, first of all, they do not sense, correctly, do not sense adequate levels of love between the intimacy of their supposed parents. And they may not even know who their parents exactly are. And intimacy is a critical element in a person starting to gain a sense of both lower and 
ourself is the part of us that's like our soul. So we lose ground in becoming a soul in this menagerie of marriages that are starting to take place. It started with the homosexual stuff in the last decade, but it's been coming for some time. We tried to fight against the Mormons at one period of history from practicing polygamy. And strangely, what the Mormons were doing was nowhere near the level of what is happening today. So it's kind of a weird thing because we condemned it as a nation and forced Utah to change their laws before they could become a state in the Union, even though it was a territory. We did all kinds of stuff. We chased some of the Mormons out. Some of them got hung or whatever. Crazy. And so, you know, this has been a big deal, and it still is a few people who practice the earlier forms of LDS and still believe that they are, you know, practicing the correct Mormon ways, you know. But it's it's nothing compared to what I'm trying to describe has been happening. Because once you, so, so to speak, made it relative in terms of uh, homosexuality, in other words, marriage is not between a man and a woman. Marriage is just two people get together and say, thank you very much, let's be close together, including potentially uh, sexual intimacy, and uh, let's uh, share uh, things, and we want to also be able to have children, which, if you're homosexual, will require some form of adoption or uh, maybe someone else carrying the child, however you're going to do it. Okay. All of that led to, you know, because some states, you know, have changed their laws. In some cases, the Supreme Court has done it. And what's happening is that some people say, well, if if marriage is between one man and one woman, or two, two people of the same sex, why can't it be between seven people, nine people? 15 people of different sexes are all the same sex. So 15 guys get together and they decide they're going to be married. Or 11 women do the same. Or maybe 15, and 15 men and 11 women all join together. And they're going to be in a group marriage together. Okay, what happens is this. The children do not sense the intimacy levels correctly because they most likely aren't there. But even if they are there, it's hard for a child, a young child, a very young child, to sense that when all these other people are in intimate relationships around them. They they get lost in the sea of it all. And they don't have the equipment yet to be able to understand it. And the confusion is is very strong. Homosexuality is does not convey lovingness during the sexual act. And if children experience that sense in the intimacy between the two partners, that confuses them too. They actually lose their ability to become as intimate as they would be, even if they were going to be a heterosexual. So it's, it's, just, it's a very difficult problem. And it gets way worse when you start going from just two people who are homosexual, to 20 people who are polysexual, whatever. And that is a huge danger. This has happened before, but not in recorded history. It happened uh, 
dimension, I don't know, whatever you would be, but you wouldn't be human, because humans aren't made that way. We are made the way I said. That's the unfortunate thing, is we can't, it's a sort of spiritual, and it's metaphysical, but eventually it'll become part of physics and, and, and anime, because it's because the sciences were getting closer to discovering in a, in a physical sense. And uh, people say, yeah, I guess that guy was telling us the right thing because there it is. You can see it on the blank blank scope. It shows how many things are going around in the senses, and you can check it out. And he's right. There's only two, and you can't. And therefore, you can only have uh, one partner at a time that you can do this with. And every time you change, you're going to damage it for the ones you had before. So, I mean, you could. I mean, you could serially do it, but it would take months of, or a time of change beforehand. You can't certainly have serial monogamy on a daily, weekly, even maybe once a month basis. It won't work. Maybe over many months or even years, it could. And for that reason, it's very difficult for people when they lose a partner because the partner goes to the other dimension, um, to immediately have sex with somebody else doesn't work for them. They can't be intimate in that way for a while because their center is is like their partner. Now, what, you know, I've had this proposed to me, what if you were in love with somebody and both of you were very enlightened beings? Couldn't you have sex then with someone else who's a very enlightened being because they uh, isn't uh, you know? Isn't there a similarity? Well, there is some similarity in enlightenment. The inter- other interesting thing about enlightenment is godlike, and you would be even more sensitive to the still differences between all those different factors. So the increased level of sensitivity would still block you, even though you'd be closer than the person who is much more selfish. So no, it's not a solution to the problem. But I love people to come up with those things. I've <laughs> And the other thing is I don't know anybody who would want to do that. So that's the other thing. I mean, it's an interesting intellectual question, which I think is worthwhile for it to be asked. But it doesn't uh, doesn't resolve the issue because people who are enlightened don't want to have polygamous sexual experiences with everybody they meet because they feel like because they don't feel like it. Okay. So, at any rate, that being the case, so if we look at the process as what is taking place, in D'Souza's book, he brings up the sexual revolution. He does not cover it as deeply or in the ways I just described, but he does say that it has definitely damaged people. And progressivism has strongly encouraged people to be sexually promiscuous and to do so in ways that is destructive to the intimacy of relationships. And that's true. So that's, it's a wonderful book because it actually gets that far into the rabbit hole. And that's the thing I, I think is amazing, is that at least he's got, he's got at least the, the pieces of the puzzle. Now, putting the whole thing together, well, that's a whole other thing. But still, this is, this is really good for the general public. This is the sort of thing that if you get Millions of people reading or watching the movie could make some changes. We need them. Oh, a long time ago. Things are spinning badly out of control, making a mess of the situation. Now, does that 
guys the way that I was talking about sexuality evil? No. Sexuality is part of the soul. It's part, even the soul is sexual. It's part of the system. The reason evil has focused so strongly on sexuality is because of the desire for it in the astral body. It allows evil to contaminate and control the person more so than other feelings because it's so strong. It loves things like that. And some people are easily swayed by the dark side through sexuality. Not that sexuality is dark. It's just being misused. That's all. It's it's really not any different than than a lot of other ways that that are misused but aren't necessarily dark because they exist. Now I know and I you know, I'm gonna be frank about this, I know there's some religions that make it sound that way, it makes it Sex is bad. If you do this, you're going to have terrible pain. It's not true, but those religions have taken the science and, we'll say, the basis of ageless wisdom and converted it into a controlling mechanism that shouldn't be there to try to get people to do certain behaviors in certain ways. It's sort of just no different than progressivism is, but it's instead of in the Government, it's in the church, which acts as a superimposed government in some places and sometimes in history. That's what has happened. Now, some religions have opened up and not so much, they don't try to control so much as anymore. Others have it, it depends. But it is a, it's an issue with religion, it's not an issue with God. And let's take this a step further. Religions, some people in religions, this is hard to believe, are progressive. Now, how does that make sense? Most people, most people who are progressives don't either doubt God or they don't believe in God at all, so then how can they be in a religion? Well, because they go into the religion because they doubt God, but they want to believe in God. <laughs> all right. And through the disciplines of the religion, they may gain some of that. But then the progressivism becomes part of the religion itself. And the religion is very dogmatic and judgmental on the people that belong to it. And sometimes to the point of being almost scary stuff. You, know, you will go to hell if you don't do that. Or, maybe not quite like that, but... Uh, if you if you want to go to heaven, this is what you need to do. So I mean, it, it, these both of these are used, of course, as as methodologies. They have somewhat the same outcome, but they have different motives in the way that the control is being used. But I think the the critical element here is to realize that there is absolutely, absolutely, no reason for people to, uh, we'll say get into a religion to be controlled by the religion because the object of religion should be to help people find God, not uh, help the religion to control people from some, um, we'll say, presumed authority from God, which is the way a lot of religions work. And the progressives use this too. Uh, you know, if you can, in some cases, if you figure if you can't get rid of religion, 
they try to get some people in high positions in various religions to become more and more progressive to control people because they want control. You know, this is the, this is the need on the part of some humans to control others. They live to do that, and the need to control others uh, is a personality disorder. It, uh, there's several different kinds. And, uh, you know, I, I told you, so, like, Obama's a, a narcissist, but he's way beyond that. And it's that, that need to control others is uh, a, a caused by a lack of development of lower and some higher self in them. The self is not well structured. And then the personality is over-controlling, but it controls others, which is weird and sometimes its own self as well. And it makes it feel better, because when it's in control of others, it feels more secure, and like it can live longer, and it can take and do whatever it needs to do to others or from others, so it feels very protected, and like it can get any need it wants met. And to it, that's a wonderful sensation to a personality. So it's highly seductive to the personality. It wants to do that all the time if it could. And it can if a person follows these systems of thinking and becomes politically involved or finds groups that are doing progressive things and allows it to follow. But unfortunately, and that is not in itself evil, by the way, but unfortunately evil has found that those people are the ones that are easiest to turn into evil people. So if you want to go after someone and make them into an evil person, you want to find someone who is a progressive or someone like a progressive person who has some of those qualities because they're the easiest people under the right circumstances to turn evil. First, you get them to do this one or two things maybe every few months that's evil. Every time you do that, if you're an evil being, you put a hole in what is called a web which allows you to possess them a little bit more and get them to be follow even more of the evil thought rather than their own. You also want people who are very close-minded to other people's thoughts, so whatever you, not, you, you suggest to them of evil thought, it isn't challenged by anything outside of them. After a while, they uh, become seduced into believing that all these dark evil thoughts that they now follow uh, are their own, first of all, which they usually aren't, and are unchallenged and therefore are always right. And with the holes in the webs, the person becomes victimized by their own desires. Their astral body tends to control them more and more in their physical action, in their physical life. And so this is a tremendously scary thing because it is insidious. That means that the more it happens, the more it's going to happen and the worse it will get. And that's exactly what it is. That's exactly how it works. And so uh, the process of becoming evil is very slow in the beginning, but each step of the way accelerates more and more and more. Some people never reach a full stage of being evil in an entire physical lifetime. Others reach it by their 20s or earlier. It all depends on what they've done in prior lifetimes, but most importantly, how once they have followed evil thought in all three of their bodies, 
from the very earliest parts of their life. Starting early gives you a big jump on things, which is why the progressives have been so strong about trying to get it into early educational systems and into families, because if you get a double whammy, you're doing it at school, and if the family's poly, polysexual bagargas, and they're doing this all together, then you've got the, the perfect storm. Now it's everywhere, and then it's on TV, it's in, it's in movies. You use, they're using every source possible, and children are the most susceptible to it, so that's where they're going after. And that's where the successes are piling up. And the danger is a sudden, we'll say, shift. As Susan says, it's suicide. America is committing suicide. His own statement. Um, and how is how is America committing suicide? We're committing suicide because all of the things that get gets us enlightened is being stripped away one by one in methodical way by the present administration. It was happening before. But non-methodically, and only haphazardly, for the first time, we have a full-blown evil dude in office that is methodical. And so that's what's going on. It's methodical means he's using a method. The method he's using is, as I told you, it's, it's the Alinsky method from Rules for Radicals. You can get that book and check it out. And that's what Obama's doing. As a matter of fact, the interesting thing is to watch how carefully Obama is following that book. <laughs> and another person who's extremely well-trained in it, according to, to Zusa, I believe it to be true as well, is Hillary Clinton, more than her husband. So if she were to become elected president, it'd be like Obama going ahead. <laughs> and so you don't need to worry about Obama finishing the job. She'll do it for him. And if she doesn't, then uh, possibly Obama's wife will. I know that sounds strange because we haven't been hearing that much from her, but it's possible. She could be a stand-in for Hillary. Suddenly Hillary has another stroke. You know, she had a stroke, but nobody really wants to say that word. And, uh, you know, so there could be another another moment where that could happen. And uh, if people are so strongly wanting a female president for whatever reasons there are, uh, then that will be possibly one of the answers that could be treacherous. Oh my God, would that be treacherous? Okay, so be aware that this is what is taking place and it is planned. It's an exercise in a the most sophisticated plan yet in the history, maybe modern history of the world. There has never been a better executed time than right now for this mental advancement into what is known as the fifth mental subworld, where truth will become obliterated and humanity will be virtually enslaved first. And then and the, end, the end product of evil is to enslave, not to destroy all of humanity, to enslave all of humanity. Uh, Even the people who are the enslavers, like the progressive folks in the government, they are enslaved themselves because the enslavement is to not be part of God. And you don't realize it, but if you're not with God, 
you are enslaved by some of, some other being within the dark hierarchy and evil itself, which is a pyramid system. So there's no such thing as being independently evil. Really can't be. I said Obama is working outside of evil to some extent, but he's not completely independent. Still working, still getting help and assistance in that way, and is using that assistance all the time. Him alone could not do what he's done. Okay, so the process as we see it today, as we're in it right now, is that truth is being abolished. We we are living in a non-true world. Now, yeah, there was some of that all along, but it's really accelerating vastly. And the amount of propaganda is so great, and the use of it is so intelligent, if, but it's still not, it's not conscious. And truth is just gone. I mean, there virtually is no truth left in anything that you know, is presently taking place as far as how the government functions in America. And that is affecting all of business activities. It's affecting all of the interactions of the people. And businesses are about to fail that are more enlightened. And what will be left will be businesses that go along with corruption and are part of the governmental system. And that's what's taking place. So we will see that in these consolidating of these next couple of years. And if it's as effective as I'm afraid it could be, that could be the beginning of the end. With everything else that I've said tonight, it could be the beginning of the end of America as we know. And as his book says, this is his book, it isn't just America. It says, imagine a world without her. Well, you can do that to some extent by reading this book, but you might want to also listen to the show after you read the book and or see the movie, and some of the other shows, and some of the other things I've written. I did, I've written about 350 articles plus, and some other, I've done about double that number of radio shows. There's a lot of material that you can listen to, some of it watch and read, and you can garner a, a general understanding of what's wrong and you can come up with a plan with others to try to defeat this. Now, in order to defeat evil at this particular time, because it's gone so far, it's going to require tremendous sacrifices by people called spiritual disciples, mostly. And if you think you are one or want to be one, then I suggest you get on doing not with doing that. But it will require almost everything about your life at this point to make the change that is necessary. And that change is so great because the momentum is so strong in a, in a dark direction now that in order to achieve this, uh, people are going to need to function together. So that means communicate with everybody else you know who's trying to do something somewhere, even if it's in different ways. And you're going to need to have a plan that is the opposite and that is enlightening of evil's plan. And there's seven distinct ways of doing that, but the most important thing, which I don't have time to go through this tonight, 
But the most important thing to remember here is the ability to make the change is within each of us. It's not out there. You know, a lot of people say, well, all we have to do is improve the Internet, or all we need to do is just give everybody a better cell phone. Or how about extending the amount of time people can uh, meditate? None of those things are going to work. What you need is instead to have a clear understanding of what's wrong and then communicate that with as many other people as can understand what it is you're communicating to them. And as soon as you find someone that they can't, you go, you leave them. You don't have time. There is no more time to try to get those folks in line. You need to get the people in line with you who get it. They may not get it immediately, but you give them a little bit of a chance. And then if they do get it, you say, ah, there you go. You've got to hunt them, hunt for them, and help them to understand because if there is an organization against the organization of evil, evil will win. And you can't do it alone, and you may not even be able to do it with just a couple of people. Likely can't. So you're going to need more than that to be able to overcome the tremendous pressures, tremendous problems that are coming very quickly. We're due for an economic disaster in this next year. We're due for some very, very serious problems in the world stage. The uh, breeding of dangerous situations overseas is part of the progressive plan. Eventually, the desire is to to diminish and destroy the United States. And one of the ways to do that is to get a bunch of people who are crazy radicals to develop a caliphate or two and then have that attack the United States. And uh, that's the sort of thing that's going to happen. First, they'll attack the interests of the United States and all over the world, but the, the most important thing is to attack freedom. So eventually, freedom will just disappear from every place, including here. Look, at, when you can't use the name Washington Redskins anymore, you have to worry about your freedom. I'm sure you can see that. That's a very clear example. Now, for the for the rest of the people who can't do what I'm suggesting, they're, they're not in that consciousness position, they have too much fear in themselves, etc., look at your bank account. It's compressed time and energy. Give some of that money to the people who really are making a difference. Only because, maybe you don't want to. Maybe you say, well, I'd rather get a, a new car seat or something. I'm not going to do this. Give up something, even if it's not that big. Everybody collectively, even if they don't do very much, might make some difference that way. They're not going to make the big change, but they may make enough collectively to make the people who are making the change better. And whatever you do, do not stand in the way. Do not become an obstacle to the people who are making the change. That's another big thing to be concerned about. For some, we'll say, crazy reason, even people who are, quote-unquote, somewhat spiritually oriented, feel that, oh, I can't live with somebody that's really that far advanced than me, so they stand in the need of them. And let everybody go down the tubes together. Don't do that. That is 
not the correct, appropriate way to exist. Okay. And lastly, because I'm out of time, I'm looking at the clock here. Those of you who have heard tonight's show, hopefully you will tell other people about Denise's uh, book, books actually, and his movies, and let them know about this show and some of the other shows, if you're familiar with them. If you're not, go online and check them out. And try to communicate with people about what's really happening. And say, you know, I don't know if this guy's crazy or not, but it sounded interesting to me. The things he's saying, I think, makes sense. But see, if you think I know, he's promoting this guy's book tonight, and he doesn't have anything. I have no connection. I don't don't get any money for this or nothing. I'm just doing it because I know this guy's doing the right thing. And uh, another thing is, Watch carefully what this guy, what, what they're going to do with this guy uh, in terms of his quote-unquote crime and uh, see what we can do to help him out if there's anything. Because, uh, I mean, that will, there's going to be some recriminations for everything he's doing. And try to do what you can to be of assistance if, if there is anything. If you know someone who's into war or something, it could be of some assistance to him. I don't know what that might be. Right now, there's nothing in the government. I mean, you know, Eric Holder is part of the team out there. So he's not going to do anything to be of friends. And the IRS is not going to certainly be this guy's friend. So whatever the story is, let's see what we can do to be of some assistance because, after all, he is a target. He's a target because of what he's saying and doing, not because he gave some additional few thousand dollars or whatever it was to some uh, political group that uh, that didn't report it or he didn't report I don't know the whole story. Whatever it is, those, those are such de minimis silly ideas to believe that anybody would be facing prison for it. It's crazy. So do, do what you can about that. Find out more about it because I don't even know enough to be able to completely uh, talk about it at this point. I'm more concerned about what he has done, but I do want to be of some assistance to prevent him from being being tortured or being, who knows, killed. Anything's possible these days. You don't know. We live in a very dangerous world, but it's getting more so. All right, and then if if you can and you and you do find that this is the right way to go, again, let everybody you think would be interested. Or even if you're not sure, try it out. Don't feel so threatened that, well, oh, maybe I'll say something to think I'm crazy. I'm talking about metaphysics. Yeah, it's not just metaphysics. It's physics and it's a lot of other stuff. So let yourself be less afraid and more willing to sacrifice and do something to make a difference. Because we all need to stand together on this. There is almost no time left. Really, I'm not... Kidding. In, in his book, he says a few years. I believe him. He was saying we don't even have a decade. And I believe him. I've said the same thing. We're almost on the same page in a, in a literal sense and in a, in a you know proverbial sense. So in both cases, I would say that there's truth to be found in that. And I hope that this show has made that kind of difference for you tonight. Uh, I've never tried before. <laughs> to talk about, do a book review, and at the same time teach it on a particular subject. It's a little bit hard to do because 
So it deals with different parts of, uh, of my body, and I sense it, so I've got to kind of join them together and make them work so it doesn't sound like I'm, like, like I'm cuckoo. Of course, I sound like I'm cuckoo half the time. Anyway, maybe so <laughs> I shouldn't worry about it, right? And, you know, that may be the truth in any case. And, uh, again, I hope this has really uh, done something, helped someone, and... Uh, I'll be looking, and again, I want to mention last for last few seconds here, the movie, this new movie, which is the same name as the book, and I'll give you the name again. America: Imagine a World Without Her. I'm going to hold up the book last time. Uh, that movie is coming out two weeks from today, July 4th. That's my understanding. By the same name. Look for it. Okay, I'm out of time.